Welcome to April's IT Modernization Insights, sponsored by Lidos. Now here's your host, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Doug Jones, Technical Core Competency Lead, IT Modernization at Lidos. Doug, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today, John. Well, the concept of modernization is just it's almost too big a, a word to fit in a room here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and every agency in the federal government is going to define it differently. So um, if, if there's some kind of an office of the future, <laughs> what do you think those agency leaders should strive for? Yeah, there's been a lot of changings in terms of what are the needs of, of the employees in the office of the future. Really, I've seen three major changes in terms of how that's going and trends uh, for the office of the future. First starts with a distributed workforce. The, the whole concept of the office being the focal point has really changed now. Now you've got workers who work part-time remote, they work a couple of days a week f- from home. Uh, you've got workers that are full-time remote, and then you've got satellite offices with small teams. And now we have to change how we support them to enable those those workers to be fully collaborative members of this team so we can accomplish those missions we have to accomplish. So that's a major change that we have to account for. In addition, we're seeing a, a trend towards mobile first. Um, if you looked at over the past year, in 2017, during the holiday shopping period, was the first time that mobile e-commerce passed, passed regular co- e-commerce from a dollar's perspective. And what people do in their consumer life, we start seeing coming into the government, into the enterprise space. So now we have to prepare all of our tools, our systems, and our applications, not just to be mobile ready, but really to be mobile friendly. Because more and more users are using their mobile devices to accomplish their day-to-day work. So we have to be able to change towards that methodology. And then lastly, is how do we enable that real-time collaboration? So we've got a mobile workforce. We've got a distributed workforce. How do we enable them to collaborate? What are the tools? Is it video? Is it FaceTime-like capabilities? Is it tools like Slack or Microsoft Office 365? So we as IT have to evolve to have those tools so they can the workforce of the future can collaborate successfully and accomplish those missions that our government customers are looking for. I think that's the key. What collaboration isn't just, okay, collaborations means Doug and I have a telephone call at noon on Friday. No, telephone, I mean, a collaboration could be one week, it's, it's three of us. Another week, it's, uh, it's eight of us. Uh, especially with software development teams, it could be someone from California and someone from Europe the next. And all of a sudden, we need Slack, sometimes you don't. So we have to have a dynamic capability, this collaboration. Completely agree. I think that's where you've seen... Most of the innovation in tool sets in coming out of Silicon Valley is really in that collaboration. And a lot of it started really ground up. If you look at the history of Slack, really started as a bunch of developers using that as a tool for them to collaborate internally, and they turned it into a product. And you're going to see more and more of that. And, and I think you hit a nail on the head is, is it's that sort of on again, off again. How can you have some that are really dynamic, real-time, like on-air collaboration versus things that are sort of over time where you have people in different time zones? And that's where you've got to get to this model of, you know, different types of tools to the different type of collaboration. It's not just a conference room and, you know, a, a, a telecon that's going on. It's that real-time collaboration. It's ones that have uh, information that stays resident there, like like you see in a message board or you see in a, in a chat that, that's, that, is, uh, that is tangible, can stay, and they can go back to it afterwards and leverage it. Because that's where the collaboration comes from. It doesn't always come in that immediate minute that you're happening. It can also come in someone realizing after they slept last night, then you go back and look at that data and understand it more. Yeah, instead of a, a tape recording of a conversation, it could be a, a whiteboard with input from several different people that's sitting there, and all of a sudden, middle of the night, you go, I know the missing point, and you can contribute right from there. Exactly. So give me an example of uh, some uh, collaboration assistance you've given some agencies. 
Sure. Um, you know, one of our big focuses is really that mission-driven IT. And there's a couple of key areas we've we've focused on bringing sort of alternative collaboration techniques in there. I'll start with one is, is we have a, a mission-critical NASA customer that we helped. We had to provide um, tier three on-call engineering support at all hours a day because it's mission-critical. We're talking about manned space flight. And we actually rolled out Google Voice. You know, it's a simple technology. It was already out there, but we realized that we could set it up that we could do auto rollover if someone didn't answer to roll to a second phone, to roll to another engineer, uh, and to escalate up the teams. It was a very simple solution that we were able to reduce the time to reaction for our engineers in the middle of the night call out by a significant amount of time period. So that's a simple one. Um, also, another one for our NASA JPL customer. We um, they assemble you know space exploration satellites and launch them you know out into space to uh, to go explore the solar system. And when they're assembling those things, the parts are all built all throughout the country, and they go and assemble them in a clean room where they can't bring a lot of things into it. Right, so they're in those bunny suits and you know they're blowing off all the dust. And how do they collaborate in a clean room when they're troubleshooting something? So we huh. were able to get wireless webcams in those clean rooms. So they're having a VTC. We have a big monitor on a on a wheel that they could wheel around and then a wireless camera and so they could actually take the camera and put it in there where they're trying to actually assemble the satellite and show an engineer across the country where it's not connecting wow and so and then they actually had the big video screen so the guy could pull up the diagram and point to him on the diagram where it was and so those are types of capabilities a lot of these things are in the market but how do you take consumer technologies and leverage them to accomplish a mission need that maybe people aren't thinking about today well i think it's very creative you're taking basically off the shelf stuff you know walk down the street to the best buy and take a few odds and ends off the shelf and creatively use it in a very secure environment i mean this is this is an unusual approach exactly and another one we did was daily threat briefings for one of our national defense customers. We were able to take them, which were a binder of information, which started with a PowerPoint and then went into a lot of the details as background they need to flip to it and put that onto a secure tablet that was in a secure space where they could easily start going through and then they could hyperlink and flip to whatever they want to and flip back. So it's a much more usable way of doing it. It's easier for them to take into their office and study and be able to go back. So again, going back to what you said, secure environment, commercial technology and leverage that to get people so they could do their job better and accomplish a mission, focus on accomplishing their mission. Yeah, yeah. If the focus is on the mission, then it's a matter of just assembling the tools and have them fly in formation. Exactly. <laughs> good, good, good. We're going to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Doug Jones, Technical Core Competency Lead, IT Modernization at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, in the discussion, IT Modernization, Enabling an Anywhere, Anytime Government. Sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. IT modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT backend. Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize. Welcome back to the discussion, IT Modernization, Enabling an Anywhere, Anytime Government, sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and com. My guest today is Doug Jones, Technical Core Competency Lead, IT Modernization at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John 
Ilroy. You know, when I think of uh, freelancers, I think of people in L.A. and, you know, doing movie stuff and, and freelancers here in New York. But, but I think freelancers uh, are part of packages in different parts of the government. And you can almost call different types of contractors freelancers, mm-hmm. too. And that's difficult to uh, collaborate in that environment, and especially with mobility challenges and security. So how do you address that? It is a major challenge. Uh, I mean, parts of the market, it's, it's going to be almost impossible to when you start getting in the classified space, right? So you're very limited there. But when you look outside of it, we're already seeing large changes in terms of the amount of freelancers and I'll say just remote workers that are working anytime, anywhere. And it really comes down to changing the paradigm of security, looking at it differently, looking at it sort of a data-centric model and a role-based model. So understanding your data and how the security needs are for that data and what are different. I, I think there's some important technology that's coming and some paradigms are changing. One perfect example is Google actually put out a white paper on how, how they do their security. It's something called Beyond Corp. And what they've done with that is they actually have an agent on their device instead of VPN that interrogates the security state of that device, the antivirus, the patch level, everything. Hmm. And then they use that state of the device to dynamically determine not just can you connect to their network, but what applications, what data can you see? It's a different model. Today, most VPNs, if your device is not secure, you're just, you're off. You're in a corner. You can't connect. You can't do any work. Their model says, I'm looking at the security of you and your device and saying, well, I can let you do email. I can let you actually go fix the device, but maybe you can't get into the HR system where all the PII data is, or you can't get into our financial system, or you can't log in as a system administrator onto Google's worldwide infrastructure. So it's a different model that takes a risk-based approach and looks at the data and the access you can have and uses that to determine what you can and can't do. And I think the same applies to when you're looking at how you do collaboration of the future with that consulting group, the contracting, the freelancers, those collaborators that you're going to have is that understanding what their role is, what their security risk is, what's the state of their device, and saying, here's what data you can have access to and what you can't have access to. It's much more sophisticated. When I, when I think of the Edward Snowden adventure, it was he had access to everything or nothing. Right. <laughs> it was like black or white. However, maybe the systems are more complex than that. And maybe there should be, well, we have no problem with Doug looking at that article, but he has, you know, it's not time, or maybe next month, or the certain time characteristics on this. So I think that's a, the granular capability is, I think, is something that people don't understand. And I think Google's taking advantage of it, but I think Lighthouse is taking advantage of it too, isn't it? Yeah, that's the sort of model we're starting to try to take towards our customers is, again, it's going to that data center approach. Because the data is, is really what we're talking about, right? The data is what's core, and that's where the risk is, right? Is it certain elements of PII data, right? Is it, you know, social security numbers? I can let you look at people's sort of demographic information, but I can't let you match that to an individual, right? And how do you control that in a better way? Or, you know, like you said, classified data or pseudo-classified data, you know, you know, official use only data. And you can see certain things, but you can't see other things. But you need to have enough data so you could do your job and accomplish your mission, but you want to lock other pieces down. And again, it's building those into our tool sets and into our collaboration capabilities and how we allow people to coordinate and collaborate across organizations. I had a recent encounter with IT modernization when my phone kind of fried, <laughs> paper chipped on me, and I had to replace it. And so I think of the federal government replacing hardware as well. But this isn't just, you know, plug in a new server, baby. <laughs> it's not get a new router. It's, it's, it's way complicated. And in fact, may have to incorporate some of the newer rules like more granular access. That's correct. I mean, I think providing that real-time support in the federal space is one of the harder things that, that – 
companies like Lido's bring to the table is, is how do you make sure you had a secure supply chain for all the hardware? How do you make sure it's configured and locked down in the correct way? And then getting it to the right user. Because, I mean, we can't just ship a phone to a new user at a federal site. It has to go through shipping and receiving, make sure that they receive it, and then delivered, depending on the site, delivered hand-delivered to the user, or they picked it up through internal mail. So there's different paradigms we have to account for in the federal space to make sure they're secure and that there's you know no one can get in there and insert some sort of Trojan device on it in the meantime. When uh, I look at my students, I teach at Georgetown, I look at my students, every student has a different kind of requirement for their mobile, you know, some tablets, some have these big phones, small phones, uh, some are you know using uh, Microsoft Surface Pros. So um, what are the preferences you've seen for uh, mobility users? All over the place. I mean, you see everything from a big demand now. A lot of people are pushing to bring Macs into the workplace more often. Uh, and we're starting to see a demand for choice. So, you know, everything from Windows boxes to Macs to even Chromebooks are becoming popular. A lot of people coming out of colleges now have been used to using Chromebooks. Uh, you know, simple models where it's all web-based. Uh, then you're looking, like you said, all the different mobile devices. And I think that's where, you know... The CIO offices are struggling in terms of balancing where people like shadow IT, they want to use what they want to use. They want to use the devices they're comfortable with, they can get their job done most effectively with. And then, you know, CIOs want to have standardization from a cost and from a security perspective. And we try to help our customers find that balancing act and enable the users to get what they need, but also control them in a secure way. I went to your website and I read your modernization white paper and had all kinds of very carefully laid out categories. Talked about app modernization and it came up with a phrase I haven't read before. It's called app replatforming. Wow, this is uh, it's exactly what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a concept of how do you move apps from you know an, a legacy platform onto a modern platform. And you know, honestly, a lot of the core software and the logic inside the applications, they're going to stay the same. They're, people are using it today. They're comfortable with it. There's policy, legal policy and rules built in there that you're not going to throw away. So you don't just start from scratch and replace the entire app. You could, how do you replatform, bring it onto a modern platform so that we could leverage a lot of the investments already been in there, but get it off of those legacy hardware or the legacy devices that are, that are causing significant cost or security risk? Yeah. And the concept of application modernization means user-centric design, as well as this consideration to uh, legacy uh, logic and, and uh, maybe legacy usage principles that have been fought over the years and seem to work. Completely agree. I think one of the biggest changes we see when we do app modernization is focusing on that end user input area. You know, looking at the user eyes, you, the UI and user centric design. Like I said, the logic is usually sound. The back end's pretty good. It's now trying to bring it into a modern technology, taking it away from looking maybe like a Windows ninety five, Win, Windows ninety eight, you know, look to bring it to a modern user centric design in the front end. And oftentimes that's our first sort of quick win we'll do is unifying multiple systems with a single user centric design in the front end and in enabling the users to be able to be more effective by, by leveraging sort of modern uh, navigation techniques. Windows 95, that's a stroll down memory lane for all <laughs> of us, isn't it? <laughs> We're going to pause here for a short break. My guest today is Doug Jones, Technical Core Competency Lead, IT Modernization Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, IT Modernization, Enabling an Anywhere, Anytime Government. Sponsored by Lidos on... Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. IT modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT back end. 
Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize. Welcome back to the discussion, IT Modernization, Enabling an Anywhere, Anytime Government. Sponsored by Lidos on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guest today is Doug Jones, Technical Core Competency Lead, IT Modernization Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Well, when it comes to modernization, I guess we've got to use the word that up on Capitol they came up with. They threw this modernization in this thing called the Modernizing Government Technology Act. I think it was put together by a guy named Chairman Hurd from Texas. Yep. And I had the pleasure of meeting him. And um, I, th- I think he's, uh, he's full of good intentions. And the problem is it has to be uh, put in some hands like yours. So, okay, now, now here's the practical aspects of this. And, and at this agency, these, this is how you can use this MGT Act to accomplish these modernization goals. Is that right? That's correct. I mean, I think one of the most important things, uh, it's actually timely that, that we bring this, we discuss this, is they just put out some guidelines from the board that's going to chair the MGT fund. Uh, and one of the things that hit me in there is they talked about sustainability sustainability of the fund. But it really hit me is that we have to talk about sustainability of these systems. How do we create sustainable systems over time? When you look at where we are today, 80% of our, our IT funding goes into O&M and we can't get over that hump. It's just like, you know, if you have a credit card and you got a big debt on it and you're only paying the monthly payment and you're never eating into, you know, the big debt, we have that right now. And it's technical debt. We don't have the money and the people, to be honest, to be able to go and modernize and get rid of that technical debt. And the MGT Act is, gonna, is one of those methods for us to help get over that hump, to go eat into that debt. But the important thing we have to do out of that is we also have to create sustainable systems afterwards so that we won't get in the same situation from that debt perspective. We have to focus on delivering systems and an approach to maintaining those systems that will allow us to get over that 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 hump. I mean, a perfect example, Google put out a book called Site Reliability Engineering, and they call it SREs. This is what their sysadmins are for their global enterprise. And in there, they talk about this concept called toil. Toil is everyday O&M activities, repeatable things, things that are just, you know, day-to-day keeping the lights on that are kind of painful to do for, for any system. And their goal for their SREs is no more than 50% toil. And the reason why they have that is the other 50% of the time, their SREs are doing projects to eliminate toil and then doing new capabilities and enhancements. And what this has done is this has created a sustainable system. They've grown their worldwide enterprise exponentially while only incrementally growing their staffing associated with their SRE workforce because they created a sustainable system, sustainable processes with a sustainable funding model so that they can maintain those systems. You have to constantly eliminate toil. There's always new patches, new COTS upgrades, new open source, new features, new bugs, everything you have to react to in an IT system. They're like living, breathing things, right? You have to clean up for them. You have to feed them. You have to teach them. You have to take them to school. And so we've got to do a better job of thinking about that in our IT systems. Now, IT in of itself is highly unpredictable. Very few people could have predicted the, the reduction in cost of compute, the reduction of cost of storage that we have today. And um, I want to go back in the history of old architects. Years and years ago, the architects first designed buildings, and one of them put a little section in there with a circular area for the, the future proposed elevator. <laughs> and people looked at him and said, oh, he's, he didn't realize that. I said, no. He, he thought that he structured something so we'd have some capacity for the future so it would be 
sustainable in the future. And so I think that's what happens. It's a strategic question where you have to look at future systems and, and predict, well, what's going to happen if really the storage costs drop by 90% and you have to include that in future plans. So the, the, the idea of unpredictable technology changing gets very difficult in this complex environment. Completely agree. I mean, I think the only thing that's predictable in IT is that change is constant and that we are consistently seeing change, whether it be mobile devices. I remind people that when we're bidding on a 10-year contract, the iPhone was introduced 10 years ago, right? <laughs> it didn't exist 10 years <laughs> right. ago. Right. And, and we're bidding that. on a 10-year contract, right? So how do you predict that? How do you you know, bid something or, or help the government shape a plan for something that didn't exist 10 years ago? So we have to be flexible. We have to be flexible and a partner with our government agencies. We have to understand that we have to be able to evolve that. We have to work with security to make sure that we factor that in because as these new technologies come in, how do you secure them? How do you think about the use cases, how they're going to be leveraged so that you can make sure that you've got it set up in a secure way, but also that it actually helps accomplish the mission. So I completely agree. I mean, the, the change is constant. You have to factor that into both the contractual structure to the partnership you have, as well as to actual technical architecture implementation that you factored in flexibility and that you're planning for future change. Well, you must have some experience with uh, architecture because uh, your online documents show that you've done over a thousand public and private migrations to the cloud. <laughs> well, some lessons have been learned there, I would assume. <laughs> Yeah, just a few scars there uh, <laughs> and still developing them as we go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a constant battle. I think a lot of it is looks at where, what are you trying to get out of a migration to the cloud? What's your goals? Are you looking to close a data center? Are you looking to uh, modernize an application? Do you have an application that has a sort of a non-normal distribution? You, know, you look at something like the census or IRS where they have definite peaks and valleys that can leverage the scalability of the cloud. So you have to always look at what's the goal you're getting on the cloud and, and not just migrate to the cloud just for the sake of migrating the cloud, right? And that's where you get the biggest benefits is that you're migrating it with a purpose and you're, you're optimizing to be able to get that benefit out of that cloud migration. So it's not migrate for the uh, the goal of migration. There's got to be specific business goals and probably uh, return on investment cost savings, but we don't know that. Right. Yeah. Uh, security always has to come up in these discussions. Transition, modernization, security. Uh, where does that all fit in the discussion, Doug? They're critical. And I think one of the most important things is having security in there from day one. In a lot of places, we bring security at the end when we're trying to get the authority to operate, the package of security approval at the end. And then you're fighting battles back and forth over interpretations. Our goal is always to have them in from the beginning as part of the team, establishing the plan, establishing the architectures. And we find that you sail through much smoother at the end. Uh, and it makes them part of that core thing. And you find you can actually come up with better solutions to meet their needs and expectations that actually sometimes will help improve the mission or the performance rather than bolting it on at the end. Old towns are bad. I'd like to thank my guest, Doug Jones, Technical Core Competency Lead, IT Modernization Lighthouse. I'm John Gilroy on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search IT Modernization. Thank you for listening to this week's IT Modernization Insight Show, sponsored by Lighthouse on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. The entire program can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search IT Modernization. IT Modernization, a far-reaching concept when you think about it. That's why Lidos has rolled out a clear-cut, user-centric approach to IT modernization that boosts productivity while securing the IT back end. 
Learn how Lidos is advancing the digital workplace with proven solutions in collaboration, mobility, cloud, DevOps, data centers, and network modernization. Visit Lidos.com slash modernize to see the approach. That's L-E-I-D-O-S dot com slash modernize.